Welcome, friends. This is the Art of Aliveness podcast, and I'm your host, Chrissy Marie. It's a space where we explore how to nurture life force energy through the path of creativity, curiosity, compassion, courage, and connection. Let's dance. Chrissy Marie here with a solo cast, the first of many, because I've decided to pivot a bit towards the end of last year. Uh, got to this nudge that there are certain things that just need to change in terms of how I do business and what I focus on. And I was sitting back uh, and feeling into the things that I really enjoy doing. And solo casting is one of them. And I'm so so delighted to have had some beautiful, beautiful, all of them really powerful conversations last year. And moving forward, you're going to be hearing a lot more of just me sharing process. Going back to my initial intention for launching this podcast, which is to give people permission to be in process and to share through story. Stories heal. And oftentimes uh, people just need a permission slip through somebody else's story. So today that's what I'm going to be doing. I'm going to be sharing my personal my personal process with alcohol addiction and aliveness and as a disclaimer which I don't feel like I need a full disclaimer because it is my personal process so take what serves and leave the rest but I do not specialize in addiction um, in terms of treatment or coaching or anything of that nature I just know what works and doesn't work for my body so Without further ado, I want to talk about, I'm going to start by sharing my journey with alcohol, which, uh, so I'm going to start by talking about my journey with alcohol, where I'm currently at with alcohol, and how that relates to all the various different areas of my life, but primarily uh, my sense of vitality. So aliveness and vitality are really, uh, they're like close, close (laughs) brothers and sisters. They are close kin. So the relationship there and also how that ripples into my business and my social relationships and my first and foremost, my relationship with myself and my inner children, the layers of me that are are small, uh, specifically the wonder child. I'm going to loop back around and talk about how my connection or my relationship with alcohol is directly connected to my capacity to experience higher states like joy and peace and hold space for that in my body, in my nervous system, without going into (sighs) self-sabotage. Okay, so, so alcohol, my journey with alcohol, I think I was 16 the first time that I drank, and I remember I was at a a girlfriend's house, I don't know how we got it, she she had an older sister who had friends, and they bought the alcohol, and it was just probably some shitty vodka that we mixed with some shitty fruit juice, and made some shitty fruity thing. And I remember forcing myself to drink it. It wasn't that great. And as I was doing that, I was eating uh, a whole load of curly fries. So you can imagine how this story ends. Obviously, at 16, I had no drinking experience. I didn't know how the alcohol was going to react to my body. And of course, I had too much. So later in the evening, those curly fries transferred from my stomach to her parents' rug. And I was very sick. But that did not stop me from continuing to drink. (laughs) 
as I went into college and uh, went to house parties and um, convinced myself to drink for many reasons. I decided drinking was was ideal for me. Um, to among some of those to maintain uh, a, a level of um, social, what's the word I'm looking for? My personality is not super boisterous, right? So I'm not like the life of a party. And, but I, I envy people, right? Who can be and who are center of attention and totally comfortable there. So there was a part of me that could access that, that layer of my being, right? That, that in, uninhibited part of me. And I would uh, drink to uh, coax her into emergence. And then as time went on and I got into my earlier twenties, mid twenties, uh, drinking just became more habitual, just something that you do socially. And I didn't really think about it. I never really quite questioned it other than, okay, well, this is what we're doing and not wanting to be the oddball and, and not drinking. Although there were periods of time where I would abstain, but I never really felt like I had uh, an issue with alcohol uh, until I was in grad school and we were looking at a test that they administer in alcohol recovery um, agencies. And the test had a series of questions. And some of these questions were, have you ever regretted uh, you, or your behavior when drinking or have you ever felt embarrassed about things that you'd done uh, under the influence and checked off yes of course I have and uh, have you ever had more than something like four or five drinks over the course of an evening yes I have done that and there were a few other questions that I checked yes to and at the end it was like well you might have you know a problem with drinking and I give me pause I was like hmm okay. But then I thought about it and I was like, that's most people that I know. That's most of the people in my social circle. Um, what does that say? <laughs> so I got curious about that. And really, I, I guess I took, I took the degree of drinking that was occurring around me for granted or not so much for granted, but, um, it was so normalized socially for me that I didn't see it as a real problem. Um, I didn't see myself as binge drinking occasionally and that being uh, an issue um, indicative of a problem with, you know, alcohol self-control. And so that, so that was my first like, hmm, okay, all right, I'll watch my patterns. I'll watch my behavior. And then as I got older, uh, I st I started realizing, maybe three or four years ago, I started realizing that I was uh, using alcohol to force myself to stay at social situations, at events, longer than I would have if I was sober, um, for various reasons. Uh, one being that these events were boring to me, sober. I just wasn't engaged, like I didn't want to be there intuitively. Uh, and the other reason that I would tell myself that, uh, or I would justify my drinking is to stay awake, to uh, give me energy. Oh, if I have a couple glasses of wine, uh, I know some people, right? Again, personal story. Some people take wine before bed. I will drink and all of a sudden get a second wind. So I would tell myself that that's why I was drinking and that's why it was okay. I drink to have the energy, uh, but really what was happening is it was just uh, numbing my body's natural, intuitive, 
wise signals like, hey, your body needs sleep now. And I would say, well, actually, we're going to stay up. Um, and there was some social FOMO there as well, right? Like not wanting to uh, end situations early that were going well, you know, wanting to stay, part of me wanting to stay in my body, asking for something else. And I think a lot of us do this where our bodies want something, but our brains want something else or our emotions, you know, emotionally we want something else. And so we deny the body um, what it what it desires and then it starts to uh, starts to rage against us, <laughs> which is what my body began doing. Lots of indigestion, um, dehydration, all pretty common when it comes to alcohol, but just things that I started to notice more as I became more self-aware and more more um, deeper into this journey of self-awareness and also recognizing that vitality and aliveness were a core value of mine and the intense frustration I would feel in the wake of having had you know, three or four drinks in an evening and then feeling like absolute garbage the next morning or feeling like I just couldn't get out of bed and that began to frustrate me and bring my awareness even deeper into, hmm, okay, there's this thing with alcohol, there's this relationship that I have that isn't serving my highest good. So the awareness was there. And since then, I've gone on through patterns of abstaining, especially following a night where I've had three, four, five drinks. And I find myself just like at 16 again, you know, in the same, um, with the same pattern of feeling physically sick, right? Like throwing up or, or forcing myself to go throw up because I have too much in my stomach and I come, I'm like, oh my goodness, like, how did that happen? How did five drinks later, right? And, um, and then I read this book recently, Alan Carr's Easy Way to Control Drinking, which uh, the title is like a clickbait thing because actually the book is about just quitting altogether. And there was this one pattern, uh, paragraph that I highlighted that I just, I was like, oh yeah, that's me. It, it's, you see, we desire moderation, right? So a lot of us will say, oh, I desire to, you know, maybe just one or two drinks. And that version of you that desires moderation is pretty sound in that decision, right? But one drink, even just one drink later, that version of you is no longer in the driver's seat because now there's this new, slightly inebriated version of you who doesn't really give as much of a crap about moderation, right? That version of you is going to say, ah, we're feeling good. Just one more drink. Now you're two drinks in and two drinks in that version of you really doesn't care as much about moderation. And when I say you, I mean, I, me, (laughs) right? And so, and so, and then that's the cycle. So I really began to see how I was playing myself and how I was roped into these stories and illusions um, that were robbing me of personal agency and my connection to my body's wisdom. Then recently, again, this is just a really new awareness for me. I was lying down meditating last week, uh, shortly after reading this book. And I was curious about the layers of my being and the patterns in my nervous system that feel unsafe around high states high frequencies high emotional states in the body so like things like joy and excitement and peace and pleasure and at first I felt that and now I knew the next piece I'm going to share I was aware of it but I wasn't linking it directly to alcohol so I noticed through doing uh, work over the last couple of months that I have this story that that goes the higher that I fly 
the harder I fall. So it's, it's almost like if I'm feeling really high, then I must inevitably go feel really low, probably in that order, right? So soaring high, it's like Icarus, that fable, that, that story where he gets too close to the sun with his wings, the wax melts, and he falls. And it's this fear that that's going to happen to me. That's the pattern that I go through is that high states lead to low states. Not, not like completely ignoring that we are cyclical beings and that all of that is um, just inherent in being human. It's what we signed up for in this experience. But that was a story, the pattern I was running. And I realized recently that I, as a child, was very intuitive um, and connected to high states. I could access them really easy. So things like peace and joy and wonder weren't foreign for me. I was just always in a state of awe and excitement and creation. Then in my teenage years, I began to, when I started drinking and using cannabis, I began to associate these happy times and these highs with the substance, with the alcohol or the cannabis. And would have this amnesia <laughs> around the less than savvy effects, right? The the fatigue or the um, uh, indigestion or any of that stuff, right? I, I would still go back to it. I would still desire the high, uh, even though I knew that there would be a consequence. So these highs would often lead to lows. And those lows, I was just repressing. I was like, eh, whatever, you know, we're just not going to think about them. We're just going to focus on the high, focus on the high. And because these highs were artificially induced and not organically earned or self-sourced in a way that trains my brain and body to replicate or transfer these highs to other circumstances, I subconsciously began to associate these higher states with the lows of dehydration, embarrassment for some of my behaviors that, you know, that I would, uh, the way that I would behave under the influence and it's this, it was this really subtle, subtle association of when I feel high, I become reckless. And so high states then lead to loss of intuitive discernment for me. And this became a, an umbrella, this transferred across the board to all high states, even organic excitement and peace and joy. High states lead to lack of agency, lack of discernment, lack of control. And within that lack of control, all of, those, all of the ways I would behave and all of the things that I would do would lead to the low that's what would lead to the low, the embarrassment, the shame, the guilt, the disappointment in myself or the disappointment in the absence of the high. And the contrast was always so stark for me. And I just recognized that recently. So I'm just dropping that in here as an insight, <laughs> not so much as like a, and then this is what I did in spite of that or because of that. Um, I have decided to quit drinking altogether after reading that book, I, reading it just 
really laid out all of the uh, ways that I like I said before I was playing myself and I just decided like actually alcohol has done nothing for me (laughs) and continues to do nothing for me Um, therefore I'm just going to stop playing myself and stop using it and along the way before making that final decision uh, some of the things that furthered sparked that decision like um bolstered what's the word I'm looking for they like gave that decision more meat is that read I was reading this book called Radical Aliveness um or it's called Black Butterfly Black Butterfly the path something like the path of radical aliveness super esoteric loved it (laughs) and he would talk about um I think it was this book I could actually I could just completely be lying to you right now um, but the, the message anyways, is that alcohol doesn't, or substances don't actually enhance high sensation. Um, they just numb the low sensations that are more prominent so that higher, higher sensations are just, they're revealed. And it's this, I guess the axiom there is that we have access to the whole gamut, the whole range of frequencies from deep suffering and shame to bliss and enlightenment. And our capacity to be present with and allow these states um, is what conjures our experience of them. And often we're not... uh, drawing on that very organic capacity. Like I said, we have this really organic capacity to experience wonder. And some of us were par- uh, parented or traumatized right out of that early on. And so our bodies are in the state of hypervigilance, just constantly trying to protect us. And peace can feel like uh, intense vulnerability <laughs> when we are trained to be hypervigilant to look for danger. But we still, that doesn't change that we still have this organic capacity to allow and we can retrain and reprogram our bodies and our brains to be present with higher states. So alcohol, back to, to alcohol and substances, substances they don't actually um, enhance the high state. They just depress <laughs> the lower states. They depress whatever energy um, is uh, more prominent so if we're experiencing anxiety or experiencing, and I guess I'm going to speak for myself because this isn't, and here's the caveat, right? Some people become more angry um, the more they drink or more anxious the more they drink. And so alcohol does impact everybody differently. My experience is that it would numb the low sensations. And so therefore I could just organically, not organically, I could allow um, easily without any effort, without earning any of that to uh, allow the higher states. So going back to this piece of when we don't earn or we don't train or sustainably teach our brains, our nervous system, our physical body, how to alchemize lower states using things like the processes that I teach my private clients and the processes that I work with myself now, the things that I learned um, in my adulthood that I wasn't taught as a child. When we don't use personal agency and practice to alchemize lower states and we just try to go right for the higher states, 
those lower states, they're just, they're just put on pause, right? That energy that wants to be alchemized, the anxiety, the, the depression, the embarrassment, like anything that's going on that needs our tending to and attention doesn't go away when we drink. It's just muted. That's all, right? So it's still living in the body. And then when we're sobered up, it comes back. It's still there because we haven't done anything sustainable about it. And that's also another reason why it was so contrasting for me, the highs versus the lows, because I'd have these sensations that needed tending to, these layers of my being, the wonder child, the wounded child that needed tending to, but I would just override that, ignore it, go for the easy, high frequency experience, which felt wonderful. But then I'd be right back to where I was. There was just this emotional whiplash, so to speak. And back to me lying down on the ground and remembering or having this insight of, oh, um, alcohol and substances were a big piece in, in writing this story of the higher I fly, the harder I fall. I was able to look at that objectively and uh, recognize that connection between the substances and that story. And as soon as I did, I was like, um, right. So if I'm not drinking, though, and I'm sober in high states, I don't lose discernment. I can experience peace and I can experience excitement. I can experience joy. And still have presence and grounded um, discernment. And that was a relief for me to remember and to experience. And another reason to let go of the drinking for myself. Because it feels really important for me to eliminate situations in which I uh, inebriate my discernment. And I mute my body's wisdom. So now the connection between the wonder child, the wounded child, and alcohol and aliveness. So I talk about these two archetypes, the wonder child and the wounded child. And the wonder child is this archetypal, this symbolic essence. It's the layers of our being that are, they have the capacity to look at the world through a lens of wonder and childlike innocence and curiosity and playfulness. They see magic, they see whimsy, they see beauty in everything. It's an open-hearted way of looking at the world. And when we engage with this inherent nature that I believe all humans have, we can move through the world with more ease and intuitive development, creative development, and connection. Now, the wonder child, and I believe that that wonder child element, that wonder child aspect is inherent in the way that we form um, at, a, at a cognitive level as well. Like if you look at a child, they're constantly asking why. They're, they're just fascinated by everything. Because everything is new to them. They're seeing the world from a place of um, without preconception, right? Without, and without the story that knowing is valuable, right? We, we, a lot of us walk around with a story that like to know is to, uh, the more we know, the more valuable we are as people or the, the better we are as people. 
And that's not part of their constitution yet. They're just super curious, but they're not ashamed of not knowing. And they're not ashamed to ask questions. And that's the essence of the wonder child is they're bold <laughs> in their exploration of the world. And the wounded child, it's the layers of our being that show up, the versions of us, it's the stories that have been woven in through conditioning from parents and society culture, where we've internalized some belief or a multitude of beliefs that we're not enough, that we need to perform for love, that we need to do X, Y, and Z. It's the, it's the love with conditions and it's the version of us that is trying to meet those conditions in the world around us it's the version of us that is codependent with our external circumstances and feels as though we need to uh, morph and change our natural essence in order to be loved and safe and belong so we all have these layers of the wounded child that show up when we're triggered by something, when we feel anxious or depressed or often the, the wounded child is present right before we pick up or I pick up a drink, right? There's an aspect of myself that wants tending to that needs some reassurance. And if I'm not feeling up for having that conversation, I would often reach for a drink instead. So the wounded child is present quite often because most if not if not all of us grew up with experiences that we weren't able to fully digest or make meaning of which is really my definition of trauma it's just it's a nervous system response that never fully got uh, managed and so that energy and whatever beliefs we internalize from that experience are now just lodged in the body running as a program that we didn't actually choose uh, it's just how things unfolded and so we all walk around with that. And when it comes to uh, navigating life in a way that promotes a sense of vitality and aliveness, it's really important that we learn how to engage with the wounded child uh, instead of numbing the wounded child, instead of numbing the voice of the wounded child and the sensations of that child in the body with a substance, personally for me. And the more I connected to the wonder child, to the elements of my being that easily engage with creativity and curiosity and um, yeah, just just wonder is just like curiosity on, on steroids. It's just this like, ah, oh, this awe, this humble, unknowing, this um, capacity for openness that precedes deep wisdom um, when I started to really nurture that part of me, I recognized that when I don't nurture that part of me, the wounded child showed up a lot more. And so not only did the wounded child show up in response to my environment and, and the relationships I was in and things that triggered me in dynamic, but it showed up by default when I wasn't tending to the parts of me that loved to play, the parts of me that loved to dance. And so the alcohol <laughs> also, in it became a way of numbing the wounded child. But it also, I told myself, became a way of trying to engage with the wonder child. And I was in ceremony once uh, with 
ayahuasca and I got this message that and I think I've mentioned it in a past po- a past podcast which, which is addiction is less about avoidance and more about remembrance people are often trying to remember their essence they're trying to remember where they came from the innocent wonder that they came from that was often robbed of so many of us at a young age but then we fool ourselves into thinking that we can access the wonder child through alcohol or through substances when really what we're doing is we're numbing the wounded child and if we're doing so if we're if we're navigating trying to access wonder at the expense of another layer of our body of our being we cancel out uh, the experience, that experience of wonder, curiosity, or um, excited uh, ecstasy that we might experience under the influence of something. It just gets canceled out. It's a very unproductive way of <laughs> of um, navigating the layers of our being. And so that was another reason I, I decided to just stop. I was like, it's super inefficient <laughs> for me. I was like, it's really, it's just not getting me anywhere. If anything, I just, it's like a step forward, two steps back. I got to go and do repair work now with my wonder child. I got to go have that conversation. I'm sorry I ignored you, you know? And so constantly being in repair. The less I engage with substances, the more I engage organically with the wonder child and um, learn how to have a conversation with and be present with the wounded child. Uh, the more I find that substances are just become obsolete uh, enemies, in fact, <laughs> to my process of aliveness. So that's where I'm at, folks, moving forward. And um, I am happy to hear any feedback. If any of you have a similar experience and want to share, please um Send me an email at theartofaliveness at gmail.com if you just want to share how this uh, has impacted you, if it impacted you, if anything has landed for you, if anybody, you know, could benefit from hearing my experience with this, please share the podcast, the more the merrier. <laughs> and also, uh, this is something that, again, I, I'm not a, uh, I do not specialize in treating any addiction to substances, Uh, I don't specialize in that at all. What I do specialize in, though, is teaching you how to connect to the wonder child and to engage with the wounded child in ways that promote your vitality. And I have a new one-to-one mentorship offer called PRISM that I'm now taking applications for. And PRISM is for high-achieving and heart-centered business owners who want to learn how to enroll their inner children into becoming their most valuable business assets. And it's a process of learning how to play again. So re-engaging with the wonder child in a way that feels natural and organic and divorced from your preconceptions of what play actually is. It's about rooting in again your intuitive voice and rooting and uprooting 
the trauma and the stories and the dogma that's been ingrained in our systems around what it means to be playful, what it means to be responsible (laughs) in a way that often leads to um, mental masturbation and micromanaging and overworking ourselves. So learning how to slow down as well, sacred simplicity, learning how to reconnect to the wisdom of our body to listen to the wisdom of our body instead of overriding that wisdom often it's telling us to simplify and slow down and then leaning into magnetism learning how to take the the wisdom and the higher frequencies of the wonder child and use them as a lens as a filter as a lifestyle um, of engaging with the world, with your clients, with your marketing in a way that feels light and playful, but not in a way that bypasses the wounded child. So really learning how to cooperate with these different parts of your inner village uh, in a way that, that allows you to prosper. The more work I've done with my wonder child and with my wounded child, the more money I've made, the more uh, intimate my relationships have become, the better my boundaries have become, the better my health has become. Um, and so not asking uh, or saying anybody if, if you desire drinking and if you don't really feel like it's uh, an issue for you that you need to stop. This is more of just um, my process with... Uh, alcohol and aliveness and how it, it the two of them interface or really don't interface in my case but really stressing the importance either way of connecting to the wounded child and the wonder child as they are asking for expression in your body and in your life and in your business and in your relationships and getting curious about those patterns oh, so If going deeper on that is something you're interested in, if you know that you thrive with accountability and um, want to train your nervous system to engage with higher states organically, to play with less guilt and shame, uh, and learn how to really tend to the wounded child um, in a way that feels safe and loving and cooperative and eliminates your patterns of self-sabotage around that, please just send me an email at theartofaliveness.com at gmail.com I can send you the application and answer any questions about that process and you can also find me on Instagram at come alive with Chrissy Marie uh, as well as my website theartofaliveness.com I love hearing feedback please let me know what Mm, there's a burp (laughs) please let me know what stands out what if anything Uh, If you are inspired, what piece of this is inspiring you? And if there's anything more you'd like to learn or hear about in terms of my process with this, please, please, please. I love the feedback and I love you all. I trust if you got to the end, you've gotten exactly what you've needed from this transmission. Big, big love. And until next time, play on.